This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. Today's episode is what I would consider to be probably the most valuable episode I've ever come out with. And I hope that it becomes one of the most popular episodes I've ever come out with because I truly believe this is really important information that you need to be paying attention to. And we're going to be talking about the four elements of mastering a jazz standard, being able to play a jazz standard comfortably, being proficient at it, improvising great solos over it, exactly what you need to do step by step. So sit back, relax, maybe grab some notes for this one, grab your favorite beverage, grab your favorite snack, and let's dive right into it. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. Hey, what's up everybody? Brent here from Learn Jazz Standards, where musicians just like you learn how to play jazz all while shortening the learning curve, no matter what instrument you play. Welcome to everybody who's a regular listener, really do appreciate you. If you're a brand new listener, then you come in at a good time, my friend. This is uh, what I'd like to call a super episode. One of those episodes where I think I can safely say that I can guarantee that if you follow the next four steps, the four elements I'm going to talk about for mastering a jazz standard, you 100% will be improving month after month if you're implementing these things. Okay. So we have a lot to cover today. So do you just want to grab your attention really quick? Want to make sure that you're focusing. I do think this is important stuff that could for certain change your jazz playing forever right? And maybe if you have a friend that you really like who plays jazz as well, you might want to share this episode with them. Okay, so let's go right into it. The four elements of mastering a jazz standard, okay? Now, the first element is the most important element that you need to be paying attention to when talking about mastering a jazz standard. Element number one is the melody. Mastering the melody. And we're going to talk about how to go about doing that. We're going to talk about everything you need to know around mastering the melody. But I think it's important to understand first why the melody is, is first of all, the first one we're talking about, but why it's so important. The melody is what defines the song. The melody is what defines the jazz standard. And if we are not using the melody through all the rest of the elements I'm about to talk about... We are essentially not playing the song, and that might sound like a very strong statement, right? But that's very true. The melody is the core DNA, the most important DNA of the jazz standard. It's what defines the song. It's what should influence the kinds of chord voicings you play if you're a comping instrument. It's what should define the kinds of things you play in your solos. The melody really tells the entire story and it's very important to the song like almost even though i don't really believe in taking music too seriously i almost want to say you should take this very seriously learning the melody is super important so if we're supposed to take it so seriously then what do we need to do to learn the melody so first of all i 100 percent highly recommend learning the melody of a jazz standard by ear okay by ear. And this will become as no new news if you've been listening to this podcast for a while. But I also want you to know if you're new to this podcast and you're already hearing me say something that you don't like to hear, for example, if you like reading music and I'm saying learn something by ear and maybe you're scared because you've never done that before, I just want you to know that I'm not an extremist when it comes to learning music by ear as it comes to jazz. But when it comes to the melody, I do have a strong opinion about learning it by ear. And that's because when we're reading jazz melodies off of sheet music, we're often getting a very robotic, uh, not very genuine pronouncement or exp- or 
uh, expression of that melody. Okay. So for example, if you were to read autumn leaves off of a piece of sheet music, it would sound like this. Okay, so this is really, really sterile, really sounds like a robot. And when it comes down to it, like the melodies that the way that jazz musicians play melodies is not like that at all. There's a lot of expression in them. There's a lot of things that are going on. So that's number one. Number two is if there's any piece of the music that you want to have deeply internalized, it's the melody. And we find that I find that those who are learning melodies off of sheet music are not really internalizing those melodies very well. We'll talk a little bit later about how using sheet music can definitely help in other aspects and elements, right? But we're talking about the melodies right now, and I want to focus in on doing it by ear, okay? So those are the main reasons. And also just to point out that when you are reading a melody of a jazz standard off of a piece of sheet music, it really usually is some kind of transcription based off of some recording. So in other words, it's just a transcription based off of the expression of one way that that melody was played. Okay, so that's important. So that begs the question, if we have to learn it by ear, how do we do it? Okay. All right. So many will know who've listened to this podcast before my list process for learning jazz standards by ear. That's an acronym that stands for listen, internalize, sing, and transfer. I'll go over these really quickly, but also know that if you're afraid you'll forget this process here, I have a free download that you can find in the show notes. It's called Learn Jazz Standards the Smart Way. It's a PDF that outlines these, or if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, just click in the description and look, and you'll find the link to that. You can download that for free. So listen stands for listening to the melody of the jazz standard, right? So what I always like to do is I, I like to go to a tool like Spotify or YouTube, and I like to type in the name of the jazz standard. So, you know, let's say, darn that dream. Right, that's a great jazz ballad. So I'm gonna type that in, and in Spotify, for example, you'll see tons of different examples of that tune, recordings of that tune. And I'll make a playlist and I'll go around and for like a week or so, I'll just be listening to that melody, right? The whole playlist. And I call this inactive listening, right? I'll be like, you know, driving in the car or I'll be like cleaning the dishes or watching my daughter or whatever, right? So that's inactive listening. And I'm just listening to a lot of different versions. That's the L, listen process. Then we go to I, which stands for internalize. And what this means is at this point, we're going to pick one recording that we're going to learn the melody off of and just focus on that. So it could be from the playlist that you were using, right? And here's where a bunch of people get a little bit stuck here is they go, okay, like I noticed that a lot of these recordings, they don't always play the melody to the same way. And that's because jazz musicians love to take liberties with the melodies. They love to try playing it different ways and express it differently, which is fine. And that's, again, in the spirit of the music. But then it becomes very difficult for people to learn melodies of jazz standards because we don't know what the quote unquote correct melody is. So my tip for this is to pick a recording where the person is going to play the melody quote unquote straight exactly as it is. And for this, I usually would go to vocal versions of jazz recordings if this is a great American songbook. So for example, Darn That Dream is what I call a great American songbook tune, which means that it is from a Broadway show or a film, you know, usually from the 1930s or something like that, right? So these are old tunes, right? Come from popular uh, media back in the day, right? So in that case... Frank Sinatra is a really good resource. Frank is always going to sing the melody completely straight. It may not be, he may not be singing in the key that you want to ultimately learn the jazz standard in. However, Frank is going to sing it straight as well as many other vocalists. Just be aware that not all vocalists sing the melody straight. For example, Billie Holiday almost never sings the melody straight. She's a great person to study for expressing melodies in different ways. 
But no, she is not good for learning melodies straight. But again, you go to Nat King Cole's, you go to um, Ella Fitzgerald sometimes sings straight, but she also kind of messes with it a little bit. Frank Sinatra is is a really good go-to, right? Really good go-to. Tony Bennett even, right? Those people will really sing the melody straight. So go straight there. Now, if it's like what I call a jazz original, which means that a jazz musician composed a song that became a jazz standard. So a great example of this would be, um, you know, this would be like Giant Steps, right? Giant Steps by John Coltrane. So Giant Steps is a tune where if you go to the original recording of Giant Steps, the way that Coltrane plays Giant Steps is the original way, right? That is the original recording. Or like a Wayne Shorter song, like Fee Fi Fo Fum. What's the melody? Go to the original recording and choose that. So again, we have our playlist in the listening phase, but in the internalization phase, we're picking one of them and we want to pick either either the original song or a version of the song where the artist is is playing the melody or singing the melody completely straight, Right. And I want to talk really quickly about why this is important that you try to find versions of the melody that are like this, because it's really important to me that you find the most original, true version of the melody and are able to play it completely vanilla. So we want to know how to play it literally like this. Right? That's the first little bit of darn that dream. That's playing the melody without embellishing it, without doodling on it, without adding different things and ornaments to it. I, you really need to know how to play it like that first before you attempt to play around with the melody at all to express it differently like a Billie Holiday would. You have to know the original melody first before you move on. That's a big kind of no-no for me is when I hear people playing melodies and they're embellishing it so much that either I can't tell that the song is actually the song they're playing or it becomes clear to me that they're just doing that because they actually don't know the melody that well. Okay, so super important to do your research there. Okay, then the, the next phase is sing. So S stands for sing. Singing just means like I could sing it. So like do da do da do dee da da do dee do 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 dee do. And as you can see, you don't have to be a good singer to be able to do this. And certainly, you can whistle like. However, it's comfortable to you because the whole point of singing is what we call proving that you've internalized it, right? I've listened to this tune en- enough times now that I, I could sing it back without my instrument, okay? So that's sing. And then transfer, that's the T. That's when you actually pick up your instrument and you've studied the tune so much now that you can now play and figure out on your instrument all the notes that you were hearing. Right? So then you go through that process, and the process looks something like this. It looks like you get the recording up on your computer, you start playing the recording, you stop it after a few notes, and you figure out where those notes are on your instrument. And then you keep going through that process. Some people love to use tools like slowdowners. You can do this with a, a tool called Amazing Slowdowner. There's another one called Songmaster. There's another one called Transcribe. Even on YouTube, if you're listening to a recording on YouTube, you can actually slow down the speed without losing the pitch of a recording on YouTube. So you can slow it down, especially if it's a faster melody like a bebop melody, right? So that's the list process of learning by ear. And notice that this in and of itself, this isn't like, uh, hey, someone told me to learn this song and so now tomorrow I can. You could definitely go that route, but what I'm suggesting here is you actually put some research into it. So this process could take you like one week to fully do, right? It could take less, like it could take several days, but you could also spend a week just working on this, like going through each process of the phase and just doing your research, right? 
This is the way we actually start the process of mastering a jazz standard, is knowing the melody so well that there's just zero doubt that we know how to play it on our instruments. We feel confident. We know it inside and out. We can hear it in our head. Our muscle memory on our instrument is unlocked. We're certain of the melody that we're playing, that it is close to the original. And then we can start messing around with the melody if we want and changing it a little bit as long as we don't leave it too much, right? I don't like it when people do that. That that way we know that we have the melody down. Okay. Again, the melody is the most important part of the jazz standard. Never overlook it. Okay. And again, this is the only part of the process of learning jazz standards where I am a little bit stricter about making sure you learn it by ear. And my inner circle members, I've had lots of people who join our inner circle membership and we bring them through a course called the inner circle power plan just helps you learn a jazz standard in 30 days. And we go through this process and a lot of people for the first time ever are learning jazz melodies by ear. Um, so it's always interesting because pretty much everybody comments in our community like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just learned the first four bars of the melody by ear. I've never done that before. And then usually by the end of the 30 days, they're like, oh my gosh, like it was so hard at first and now it's already getting easier. So this only gets easier to do over time. And if you you use the list process for learning jazz melodies by ear, it only gets easier to the point where after you've done this, you know, 25 times on different jazz standards, as we have some of our inner circle members have done, the process of learning a melody by ear is just not near as hard. Now, one little thing before we leave this first element, the melody, there's nothing wrong with after you've gone doing some of this work, going back and, and finding a lead sheet somewhere online, purchasing it. And looking to see what the melody actually is, right? And when I say actually is, I just mean that someone transcribed a melody from somewhere and put it onto a piece of sheet music. Unless you have the original sheet music, right? That's what's happening. And it can be helpful, especially if there's like a quick bebop tune or something like that, where you think maybe I might be missing some notes. It can be helpful to go through and double check your work, right? Okay, now I'll read the sheet music after doing all this. Is there anything I was missing? Is there anything that I heard actually better than this transcription? Like, I mean, these are the things that you can do. So I'm not saying throw the sheet music out completely. I'm just saying that please do go through this work first. Uh, it's really going to help you. I can't emphasize this enough. Okay, so that's element one, the melody. Element number two is the chords, okay? So when I'm talking about the chords, I'm talking about the chord changes of the song. So for Darn That Dream, this is what it sounds like. So those are the chords, right? Of just the A section there. Uh, I could go through what they are. I mean, they're like G major seven, they're B flat minor seven, E flat seven, and A minor seven, and D seven, right? So that's what they are. We'll talk more about that in a second. But let's start, start talking about how we actually go about learning the chords, right? So first of all, this is where a chord chart comes in handy, okay? Just you have to be careful with chord charts because a lot of us are going to go to an app like iReal Pro, pull up a chord chart and go, hey, sweet, we've got the chords. <laughs> okay, here's the problem. Some random person submitted their chords to that app and you downloaded that and now you're just learning random chords. And real books too, like ones that are actually printed that are called real books or even sheet music that you'll find online, they're not always correct, especially the iReal Pro stuff and the old real book stuff. Definitely not always correct. Um, like I remember learning, I think from like the first edition of the real book, how to play this song four by Miles Davis. That's the one that goes like this. Right? And those chords right there, for the longest time I thought it was 
B flat minor seven E seven. And it's not, <laughs> it's totally something different because I learned it from the real book. It was completely wrong. Right. Uh, also in that same version, I believe they go to a flat major and you're supposed to play D F minor is actually what it is in the original miles Davis recording. So it could definitely be wrong if you're l- learning it from those resources. And again, going to sheet music that you can pay for online, it could definitely be more accurate, 100%. But again, just remember that these are usually transcriptions from a certain recording, right? So it could be something different. And another thing to keep in mind, too, is if you're learning a Great American Songbook tune, there's a difference between what we call the jam session changes and the original changes, okay? So jam session changes are kind of more likely what you want to learn. And it's nothing wrong. Like you might want to learn original changes as well if they're vastly different from jam session changes. But jam session changes are what's become accepted as these are the changes if you go to a jam session or play a gig. And usually that's because someone like Miles Davis ended up playing one of these tunes a certain way and everybody copied his changes. And, you know, I could go through how that actually happens. But for example, like the song... A Stella by Starlight, right? So this one. Right, that song. Beautiful song. Really love it. So the first chords there that I just played were E minor 7 flat 5 to A7. And that's what Miles Davis would play and many other jazz musicians would play. But those aren't the original changes. The first chord of Stella by Starlight is actually... A B flat diminished seven, so it goes right. Isn't that interesting, right? So it really that chord is completely different in the original changes. And so while it's it's cool to know the original changes and it can be helpful and it's a definitely a thorough research. Sometimes that's not what you actually eventually want to play for all practical purposes, right? So chord charts. 100% learn the chords from a chord chart. I don't expect you, especially if you're a beginner, to learn the chords of a jazz standard by ear, right? Because that's a really acquired skill, which I'll talk about in one second. But you have to be aware of all these things. You have to be aware of the source that you're getting the chords from, and you have to be aware of what changes are being used and why, right? And so when using chord charts, I would recommend checking out a variety of sources. So for example, like in our inner circle membership, this is actually what me and my team do when we do our monthly jazz standard studies. That's the main thing we do in our inner circle membership is we learn a new jazz standard a month. And so what we do is me and another team member, we're getting together, we're listening to a bunch of different recordings and we're figuring out what we believe are the most accurate, the most Um, used changes, right? And we also like writing alternate changes too, if we feel like it's warranted, right? So we do a bunch of research to figure out what the best changes are to these jazz standards. And then we'll usually get on a, on a meeting on a video call and start arguing about portions of them sometimes. So, you know, we do that process and I would recommend you do that process as well, right? Because again, we're trying to get accuracy here And even just in the process of kind of being a little bit more intentional about this, you're sort of learning the jazz standard a lot better, right? Because you're more aware of what the possibilities are, right? Okay, so that's that's with chord charts. But this is where we bring into the learning chords by ear thing, right? Which is have your chord chart in front of you. But also at the same time, like listen to the chords, right? Now, again, if you're a horn player, not a piano player or a saxophone player, that's okay. Like if you're not actually playing the chords along on one of those instruments, great skill to have if that's a secondary instrument for you, but you can still like arpeggiate, right? Chords. So if you hear that first chord of Darn That Dream, right? Which is by the way, a G major seven, you, you can, you can stop the recording for a second and go, right? And figure out the notes in that chord and go, yeah, that sounds like a G major seven, right? And go from there. And then look and say, oh, the C minor seven, E flat seven, those are the next chords in the chord chart, right? Like, so now let's listen to the recording and go, okay, those are the chord tones. 
Okay, right, yeah, so that, sure, that sounds like, that sounds like them too, right? So I'm not, I want to make sure that we're not giving the horn players a pass here, right? You still can play on your instrument and double check the work of the chord chart with your ear, right? So here's the exciting thing, by the way, if you're ever like, hey, my goal is to be able to hear the chords to a song or a jazz standard and be able to play it by ear. The real secret is like learning more jazz standards, because the more you do this, the more you start, you'll start recognizing the, the patterns. So, for example, we talked about autumn leaves. The first chords are C minor seven, F seven, B flat major seven. Right. So. Right. That's the melody in the chords. Well, the first chords there, that's a two, five, one in the key of concert B flat major. Okay, that's the most important chord progression in jazz. And what happens is the more you hear that happening, because it literally happens all the time, many times through jazz standards, the more you start going like, oh, I recognize what that sounds like. The only question is what key is it in? Right, or here it sounds a little different here. Right, but you can hear. You can hear that movement and you start picking up on this stuff. And you just have to believe me on this. The more jazz standards you learn, the more that you start hearing the patterns emerge, right? Because the next part of the melody is... Right, that's a two, five, one in a minor key now. That's the second part of the Autumn Leaves melody. So you start hearing what that sounds like too, and you recognize the sounds of minor chords. Again, for those who are like, I don't believe you, Brent, you just have to learn a lot of jazz standards and you will start hearing those patterns emerge and it gets easier to do. And that way you can still use your chord chart if you want, but you're able to double check your work a lot better off that chord chart, right? And again, it's important to always emphasize here too that learning stuff by ear, it's always gonna help you internalize it better, right? It will, just naturally. So if you exercise your ear muscle even a little bit during this process, it's going to be helping you and working in your favor so that you're memorizing these chords for the long term, okay? All right, so the next thing you want to do is after you've learned the chords is you do want to analyze them a little bit, okay? You want to analyze them, and that comes down to like making sure you understand your Roman numerals, right? So let's say we have a C major scale. Okay. And I want to harmonize those with seventh chords. I'm not going to go over the in-depth theory of this right now. So if this is above your head, I do apologize, right? But if we harmonize a scale with seventh chords, C major seven, D minor seven, E minor seven, F major seven, G seven, A minor seven, B half diminished or B minor seven flat five back to C major seven, right? And we have numbers for those one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, right? And so then if we are trying to figure out what a two, five, one in C major is, then we just go, what's the two chord? It's a D minor. We go, what's the five chord? It's G seven. And what's the one chord? It's C major, right? So Roman numeral analysis is really helpful. It's another thing we do every single month in our jazz standard studies in our inner circle membership is we go through the Roman numeral analysis because we do have to have this intellectual side of understanding going on. Even if we don't completely understand everything that's happening, we can start categorizing things, right? Oh, this is not one chord after another separate from each other, right? These are chords that flow together and have meaning, right? It's not just a C minor seven, F seven, B flat major seven, right? It's a two, five, one in B flat major. This helps you memorize jazz standards way better is when you categorize them into key centers, categorize them into Roman numerals, um, put names to certain things. Like for example, in Darn That Dream, right? Those second chords I played there, it's a G major seven. That's the parent key center. It's the song the key's in. It goes to B flat minor seven to E flat seven. But those chords have like nothing to do with G major. But then they go to an A minor seven. Okay, A minor seven is the two chord in G. So what the heck is a B flat minor seven to E flat seven? Well, if we're analyzing that, what we would call that is a sidestep two five or a deceptive cadence. And just putting a name to that 
And slowly, after you learn more and more jazz standards, understanding that, it helps you go, oh, right, 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 right. So even though that has nothing to do with the key center of the song, the function it's serving is approaching another chord within the key, right? And we'll call it this, and that helps you organize it. So analysis is important. Understanding what the chords are is helpful. It sort of just opens up this other side of your brain where it's kind of dark and foggy over there, but if you start shining a light on it, it makes so much more sense, right? Slowly but surely, okay? So the next thing we want to talk about when it comes to the chords, mastering the chords, is voicings, right? Voicings. So if you are a guitarist or a piano player, it's important to start exploring voicings, right? So literally just going through those chords and figuring out how you want to play it. So, all right, so, you know, here's a G major 7. Here's a voicing for a C minor. Here's a voicing with good voice leading to the E flat 7, to the A minor, and here's a voicing for that E7, or sorry, B7 sharp 11 to a, to a C or an E minor 7. Right? So you start working out voicings for yourself, figuring out how you want to connect the chords together on your instrument, right? And spending a little bit of time actually thinking about that. So for guitar players, we have what's called stock voicings. So do piano players, but it's sort of like go-to voicings, kind of our bread and butter voicings. But then there's other voicings that we can play. We can think about voice leading, right? Right? Those are different voicings that create different results within the same chord progressions. And so it's good to spend some time thinking about that, even just figuring it out slowly rather than thinking about improvising it. Right, Just giving yourself the opportunity, if you play a chordal instrument, to think about the voicings that you might want to play or maybe discover some new voicings over top of that chord. Uh, the, that those chord progressions, the jazz standard. Okay, Now, the next thing we want to do, whether you're a piano gu- player, a guitar player, or a saxophone, trumpet player, bass player, or whatever else, we want to do something called chord tone mapping, right? So we know the chords, but then we want to go, hey, how do we map out these chords by playing the arpeggio? So... That was just like the first A section of Darn That Dream. And what I was doing is playing just the arpeggios. And that's just simply helping us understand where those chord tones are for improvisation purposes, for memorization purposes, for the horn players, for sure. But I like to use voice leading. So in other words, we don't just start on the root of every single chord, right? What we do is we try to figure out what the nearest chord tone is, right? So... So I guess the nearest chord tone would be like the seventh, a B flat minor. That's the next chord. Um, And then we could go the fifth there of the E flat seven and kind of start working through what we call a voice-led chord map where we're finding the nearest chord tones. And what this does is this really unlocks your knowledge of on your instrument, where are these chords, right? Not just on a chordal level, if you're, again, a chordal instrument like guitar or piano, but on a single note level. Where are all these chord tones? How do they connect together? How do the chords connect together, right? This is super important because chord tones are the gateway into improvisation. It's not scales, it's chord tones. So this is super, super important, right? Chord tone mapping. Okay, now we go to the next one, which is transposition, This is what I would call over and above. But again, if we're talking about mastering the jazz standards as it pertains to the chords, transposing is really, really a a helpful thing for unlocking jazz standards, right? So for example, we know that in Autumn Leaves, the first chords is a 2-5-1 in B flat major, and then a 2-5-1 in G minor, right? So now let's transpose that to a different key. Let's transpose that to the key of E flat major. So now it's this, 2-5 to E flat major, 
Um, or sorry, I shouldn't do it in E flat major because we should be doing it in the minor key because that's what the key is. It's in C minor. So let's transpose it to C minor. So we would start with a 2-5 to an E flat major, and then it's a 2-5 to C minor, right? That's transposing autumn leaves chords from G minor, which is the original key, into C minor, right? And so when we do that, we're really starting to make sure that we know the tune, right? We're, we're, it's kind of like this, this singing process when we're learning the melody where we're like ensuring that we've internalized it Well, transposing it is ensuring that we really know what the chords are, right? That we've analyzed it, that we've learned the, the chords, right? It opens everything up so much more. It's like looking at the same object in a room, but from a different perspective, same thing, but it looks slightly different and it feels different. It means you know it better, right? You know that object better than just looking at it from one one point of view. Okay. So that's transposition. So that's the second element. That's the chords. So we talked about chord charts. We talked about learning by ear. We talked about analyzing. We talked about voicings. We talked about chord tone mapping. We've talked about transposition, all important stuff. Okay. The third element of mastering a jazz standard is memorization. Okay. Memorization, memorizing the actual jazz standard. And in some ways we've talked a little bit about this already, right? We've talked about the melody and how to go about learning it. We've talked about the chords and how to go about learning them. And these are all really good things to take into account with memorization, right? Because all the processes that I just gave you, if you follow those processes, the list process and everything I talked about with the chords, you're going to memorize it and internalize it a lot better than if you were just picking up a piece of sheet music and reading it uh, and trying to just memorize it by staring at it, right? Okay, that's one way to go about it, but not as good. So again, let's go through memorizing. That's the third element. By ear or by reading, right? We already talked about by ear. By ear is for sure what we want to do for the melody. By ear is what we want to kind of get to with the chords, at least in the amount of checking our work against the chord chart, right? Checking the chord charts work rather, right? But you can also do it by reading, right? The chords by reading as well. And so the secret to this really is threefold. Number one is repetition. That's no secret really, right? Everybody pretty much understands if you want to memorize something or gain muscle memory, get good at something, then just... Play darn that dream so many times, right? That you just know it forwards and backwards, right? You just know it forwards and backwards, right? And that repetition is great. So transposition, by the way, going back to the chords, that's a form of repetition, right? Transposing it is a form of repetition. But really, I, I'm just talking about revisiting it. And so one thing to think about and talk about with repetition is what we call spaced repetition. So spaced repetition would be like, I learned the chords today. And instead of just like repeating them over and over and over again, it's taking a break and the next day coming to it and doing it again. And maybe you don't remember the whole thing perfectly but you remember some of it, right? So you work on it some more and then you come back to it the next day and you get it better. So the psychology behind spaced repetition is that there's only so much we can hold in our brain, but if we're constantly coming back to familiar things, eventually they become more familiar, right? So that's spaced repetition. So even if like it's like, hey, I really worked on this jazz standard for a long time, oh no, am I going to forget it? Okay, well, actually, it's okay if maybe you work on a new jazz standard and you don't really play that one for a while because then what you can do is like a couple weeks later or three weeks later, play that jazz standard again. And even if some parts of it got foggy, your brain is being forced to recall it again. And so you're actually strengthening your memorization by doing this. That's spaced repetition. It's used in like language learning and stuff like that. So repetition, it's nothing new, but it's something that is important. It's unavoidable. Okay, the, the next thing with memorization is recording yourself. Recording. This is really like the secret sauce here. And a lot of our inner circle members do this every month as they record themselves playing and improvising over the jazz standard that we're working on. 
And what recording does is it's like you're shining a, a light, a spotlight on your playing and your knowledge of what you're doing. It kind of feels hot at the moment, like the light's a little bright. You get a little nervous at first, right? But it's almost like it's simulating a performance environment and therefore you're able to focus more on that jazz standard. You're probably going to implement repetition more because you're trying to get a good recording out there that you want to listen to, or in the case, for example, of our inner circle members, share it with other people in the community. So it kind of forces you to really know what you're doing a lot more. So the more you record yourself playing jazz standards and playing and doing things, the more you're actually going to improve, right? The more you're actually going to improve. Okay. The next thing is live playing, like going out and playing the tune live. So whether that's just like one other friend that you have, like maybe you live in a rural area, you don't have public jam sessions, you don't have all that other stuff. That's totally fine. That's okay. Right. We're just focusing in on what's that one person I can get together with each week and practice with, right. Or perform songs with, but if there is a public jam session, great. The more you play a song out live, the more it's going to actually have some application to it. Like, oh, the reason I'm doing this is to play it with other people. Now I get it, right? So that helps you memorize things so much better as if you're not just stuck in the practice room, but actually applying the knowledge that you're trying to learn, right? So that's memorization, right? Memorizing a jazz standard is super important, obviously, to mastering the jazz standard because if you haven't memorized it, and if you're still staring at a piece of sheet music, you don't really know the tune very well, which means that you're not going to really have that freedom to start improvising, right? Which which is really the big challenge of jazz is improvising. Like That's the thing that we all want to do really well is improvise really well. We're not going to be able to do that at a high level if we haven't memorized the tune, okay? So that is element number three. Element number four is the big one. Element number four is the big one. Element number four is improvisation, right? We know the melody, we know the chords, we've memorized it. Now we have to figure out how do we improvise over it. Now, this is such a huge topic, and that's why on this podcast, we're literally talking about this all the time, different strategies. But what I'm going to talk about here for you is kind of what I consider to be the meat and potatoes stuff here. Like, again, if you've kind of phased out because this podcast has been going on for 40 minutes, Draw your attention back in right now because this is super important. These are the things that I've been doing for years and years. Pro jazz musicians before me and alongside of me have been doing for years and years and years and years. So you want to be doing these things too. And also with our inner circle members, we see them succeeding the most when they're doing these things. Okay. So this is how we start mastering improvisation over a jazz standard. Okay. So there's two steps here. So the first one is acquiring musical language over top of this jazz standard. Okay, acquiring musical language. So a lot of us like to go, okay, I want to start improvising over this jazz standard. So what are the scales we play? And that's not a horrible question to ask or anything. It's just that, you know, okay, for example, the first three chords of Autumn Leaves, well, what can we play over top of the two chord? Well, we could play the Dorian mode. Right? What can we play over top of the five chord? What can we play the the mixolydian mode? What can we play over top of the, the one chord? Well, we play the major scale, right? So the, the the Ionian mode, if you will, right? So those are scale options, right? But the problem is, is obviously there's nothing musical about those. It's just ensuring you that you're not playing the wrong notes, basically, is all there is to it. And that's fine. That's a fine starting place. But ultimately, we need to acquire musical information, musical language. And obviously, we can't play something that we've been hearing that we admire, like our favorite jazz musician solos, unless we've actually sat down and A, heard it before, right? You can't say something you've never heard before, and then actually try to reproduce it, right? Really important. So what are some options for acquiring musical language? So number one is what I like to call jazz solos or etudes. I call this macro jazz language. So if I'm learning a jazz standard, like, you know, darn that dream. Remember when we were learning the melody, we had the playlist, right? 
And remember, one of those songs, maybe you heard a solo that you're like, wow, that was a great solo. Well, what about if we learned half of that solo or one chorus of that solo? Or if that's too much for you, half of a chorus of that solo, right? What if we could unlock what they're doing for a second, like figure it out? And how do we do this? Well, we do this through the list process, right? It's the same as learning the melody. We listen to it, we internalize it, we sing it, and then we transfer it to our instrument. And we can use slowdowners, right, for the transfer phase, right? Like amazing slowdowner. So we learn the jazz solo by ear is the best way. Transcriptions is okay too. But again, then you just have to memorize it. And it's better for you when it comes to improvisation to do it by ear, right? So again, you don't have to do like a whole chorus if you don't want to, but just some of it. So etudes is another one, and that's that. It's like a composed solo. That's what we do in our inner circle membership. Is every month we have a composed solo by our in-house composer who composes a solo over top of that jazz standard that we can all learn. It's basically him improvising a solo, but then he goes back and says, "All right, we want to make sure that we're teaching everybody how to play the chord changes better, and you know we want to focus on how to play altered ideas over five chords this month. So let's you know make sure that's implemented there, right?" So that's another thing we could do, right? So this is macro jazz language. We have to do this. And so it's it's helpful to just have the, uh, this is the jazz standard I'm learning. Let's learn something over top of that we liked over top of this. The other one you could do is licks, right? Um, I all, For teaching, I always like go to my pet licks. So like, for example, if we're trying to learn a 5-1, like how do I play, what's a line I can play for that? Well... Right, that's an altered lick that goes plays basically all the altered tones over the dominant five chord, like sharp nine, flat nine, the flat thirteen, flat and flat nine again. Lands on the third of the one chord, so that's like a D seven to a G major seven, right? So that's a lick, right? So great great idea that I just learned. I learned it from a recording. I learned it from something. I learned it from that etude. And it's micro jazz language. So it's smaller things, right? It's just over top of smaller areas that we can focus on rather on the the larger scale of the tune. It's just what's, how do I play over this one chord? How do I play over these chord progressions? So again, we're acquiring musical language and this is really, really important. So we're either acquiring it through the macro or we're acquiring it through the micro. Now, here's where everybody gets tripped up, though. This is really important. So again, please pay attention to this. That is, a lot of times people have a hard time, like they learn these licks, they learn these etudes, their solos, and then they're like, yeah, but when I start improvising, they don't come out or I, I try to play one of the licks, but it doesn't feel natural or anything like that. And the reason that is is because you haven't made it your own. You haven't made it your own. Okay. So what we need to do is then start transferring it and making it our own. So the next thing we can do is we can recompose that lick. So what's another way to play that? Right. So that's another way. See, that's another way. I could sit down and do this for a long time. I won't do this on the podcast, but I'll come up with actual different ways to play that lick. And it's really just a lot of experimenting. It still is the same lick, right? We don't want to go too far away from it, but we're just trying to change it a little bit, right? So what we're doing is we're starting to signal to our brain, oh, this is the core information we have, but how can I start manipulating this a little bit, right? So the next thing you could do is you could compose a lick, right? So composing isn't recomposing. Composing is like, let's create something brand new, right? Completely different. But we're going to use the concept, right, of that lick with the altered ideas that we just learned. Oh, right. So you can play the the sharp um, nine and the flat nine. Oh, that's cool how you can do that. Well, let's compose something completely different where you do that. Right? That's a lick I could play. And it's not the same thing at all as the last one. It just had themes that were the same because it used some of the same concepts, flat nines and the, the flat 13s and sharp nines and stuff like that, right? So that's recomposing. 
You could do the same thing with the macro too, right? Especially really helpful to compose your own solos. So composing is slowing the improvisation process down, gives your brain the opportunity to apply these things that you're actually learning, the musical language. So I always tell people to compose their own jazz solos. Really good thing to do, right? It seems counterintuitive because it's like, well, isn't the idea to improvise a jazz solo? Well, it's like, yeah, but if you, again, haven't really figured out how to play something yet, how can you actually start improvising it, right? So we're always going to improvise more naturally the things that have come from us that we've created versus the things that other people have created. So we need to own the process of when we acquire the new musical language, shifting it into something that we can better understand ourselves and our musical experience. Okay. So that's the first phase. Mastering a jazz standard becomes an improvisation. We had to acquire the new musical language. And again, I'm talking about acquiring language to apply directly onto this jazz standard, right? The second thing that we need to do with improvisation is often overlooked and that's actually practicing improvising. Okay, so I'll emphasize the word practicing. So we're practicing improvising. So a mistake a lot of people make, and it's not necessarily always a mistake. I just mean in the context of me talking about this now, it can be a mistake. And that is you'll go online or wherever, you'll find a backing track, and you'll just start practicing improvising over that backing track. And again, nothing wrong with that, except for that you're probably just making the same mistakes over and over and over again. Why? Because a jazz standard is usually long, anywhere from 12 bars to 32 bars. And within there, those are single chords that you might want to practice or transitions to other chords you might want to practice, right? So for example, maybe in Autumn Leaves, right? Those first three chords is a two, five, one and B flat major. And maybe what I want to do is just practice looping that. So and then again, right? And just like put on a backing track that loops those chords, or you can use a program like Band in a Box where you can loop chords, or you can get a loop pedal where you can loop chords. Like um, even if you're a saxophone player, right? You can do all these things as well. And you just loop a section over and over and over and over again. Song Master is another good tool. You can loop things over and over and over again. And you just practice like... And you're just looping that over and over and over again. How many different ways can I practice improvising over a two, five, one? Not how many ways can I practice improvising over autumn leaves? It's just that one section, right? And then you move on. Then you go, okay, what's the next chords? Okay, it's that two, five to G minor. What are some ways I can do that? Right? How many different ways can I improvise? Maybe you're applying some blues stuff over top of it. Maybe you're working on, you know, right? Landing on the major seventh of that minor chord, right? How many different ways can you do that? Loop over and over again. Takes a lot of the pressure off because it's then it's more about the question of like, how do I get really good at a minor two, five, one? Not how do I get great at autumn leaves? The minor two, five, one is going to play out in autumn leaves. So you have to know it really well. So we loop smaller sections of that jazz standard. Okay, the next thing is transposition, right? We talked about this with the, the chords. So if you're practicing a jazz standard, right, autumn leaves again in B flat. Now let's transpose to C minor, two five to E flat major, two five to C minor. Okay, now we're asking another question. How do we improvise over those same chords, but in the key of C minor? Okay. 
So that means we have to know our instrument better. That means we have to not just know how to play a 2-5-1 and some musical ideas in B-flat. We have to know it in another key. And so I don't ever like recommend saying, oh, you have to transpose a jazz standard in all 12 keys. I think that's over the top. But one or two other keys can really help you open up the possibilities and your abilities to improvise over a jazz standard. Okay. So transposition definitely, 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 definitely can help. Okay. The last thing when, when you're talking about practicing improvisation is what I call a feedback loop. Okay. A feedback loop. This is really important. So the first step is to record yourself improvising, right? We talked about recording earlier being really important for memorization. Well, recording is also really good at helping you figure out what to do next. So record your improvisation. Don't get all worried about it. Don't try to play a perfect product. Just play an honest an honest where you're at right now with this jazz standard. One of our members in our inner circle membership, um, her name is uh, Ari. Every single month we, when she does the new jazz standard we work on, she almost like it's almost crazy. She's usually the first one to post in our discussion board a recording of her playing and improvising over the jazz standard. Like literally almost within the first day or two, she's already doing it. And what she's doing that for isn't because she's like, oh, this is the final product. No, it's literally V1 of sometimes like V10, version 10, right? Like by the end of the month, she's posted recordings of her playing many, 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 many different times, right? And the reason she's doing that is to go like, here's me practicing it when I just barely learned it. Here's my improvisation halfway through the month and so on and so forth, right? To like really see like, where are we at with this jazz standard, right? It's an amazing idea, right? Because it's not worrying about, do I sound good or not? Or feeling self-conscious. And she's even doing this in front of other people, right? And everybody, by the way, in the inner circle is so encouraging. So it's never, the environment isn't one to worry about putting yourself out there and making mistakes. That's what we do in the inner circle. But, you know, this is how we start the feedback loop. We record ourselves an honest recording of how our improvisation sounds on this jazz standard. Then what we do is we, we make a list. The first thing on the list is what's going right. What do you like about your solos, right? What do you like about your improvisation? Start writing it out. This is a really good practice because a lot of us don't like doing this or we don't do it at all. We just look for the negative things, go for the things that are going right, because almost I want to say the things that we're doing well are the, it's more valuable to know that than the things that we're not doing well. And the reason I say that is because there are certain things about the way you play or things that you have started to develop or things that are starting to reveal themselves and you're playing that are good. And once you identify them, what you want to do is double down on them. You want to basically go all in, right? We're at the poker table. We're going all in on this thing. Oh my God. I love it. When I do this melodic thing. Oh my God. I love this particular idea. I do. Oh my God. I like the way I attack this note, right? We get very specific and we're like, well, let's do more of that. I want to be mindful that I'm doing that. Let's do this more often. I'm going to keep listening. I'm going to transcribe my own recording. I've done that before. I encourage everybody to do that. Literally relearn parts of your own solos. I did that the other month. <laughs> I was doing a YouTube video and I heard this old recording of myself and I was like, oh my gosh, that was actually really good. It was like 10 years ago, but I really liked that. <laughs> and so I wish I could play that more. That's what we do. That's, that's what we start with. What's going right? The second thing on the list is what's not going right. Well, I'm still not playing the chord changes very well. Uh, I still am playing way too short of phrases. Uh, my rhythm is still all the same. Um, I just think my ideas sound all, like are, are boring. I keep resorting to the same things. My, they sound like scales when I'm playing, right? So fill in the blank with what you don't think is, is good. And all we're really doing is we're not judging ourselves. We're just being objective. Like, what is it that I don't like that I would like to do better, right? So as soon as we're mindful of what that is, then the next time we start practicing our improvisation, we're able to take some kind of action, whether it be very small or, or large, to make a course correction, right? Because we can do this process, but if we're never willing to make a course correction, or if we've never done this feedback loop, we're probably never going to improve. We're going to keep going in this circle 
right? And sometimes we'll make a breakthrough, but a lot of times it's just this vicious cycle of not improving, right? Because we haven't done the due diligence of figuring out what's going right in our playing and what's not going right in our playing and actually making adjustment, right? So that's improvisation. That was a lot. That's acquiring musical language and that's the practicing of improvisation. So those are the four elements for mastering a jazz standard. But there's one more, um, I, w- I want to call it the bonus element that you really need to understand about this whole process, right? Because again, this, this episode is called the four elements of mastering a jazz standard. Now, mastering is a big word, right? Um, mastering, you almost can't really put a you can't really put a firm definition on that, right? The mastering can mean different things for different people. Um, we definitely understand that it means playing something at a very high level. Usually when we think about mastering something, it means that there's not a lot of effort that we're putting into it at some point. And so the only way to can actually master a jazz standard is by learning more jazz standards, which is crazy. So basically we learn a jazz standard like darn that dream, right? Right. We went through all that effort to learn that jazz standard, but then we have to kind of let it go for a little bit. I mean, again, repetition, keep revisiting it, keep playing it out, keep doing all that stuff. But then we kind of have to let it go for a second and go to learn another jazz standard. And the reason we want to do that is because guess what? In the next jazz standard, there's going to be more two five ones. There's going to be more melodic ideas. There's going to be more learning a new melody by ear and strengthening your ear. There's going to be more repetition that happens. There's going to be more recording of yourself. There's going to be learning more musical language. There's going to be familiar concepts that you'll be like, whoa, hey, I heard that in that other jazz standard. Oh, hey, I learned that musical idea from that other jazz standard. Oh, wait a second. I just recorded myself and I heard myself doing some things that I was doing in that other jazz standard. Hey, it's starting to get easier. And that's why we, that's what we do every single month in our inner circle membership. We learn a new jazz standard because we believe that like, if you just keep learning jazz standards, there's no choice. You're going to get better at it. It's just a fact. And we've seen it over time and time again. So that's kind of the bonus element is just learn more jazz standards, right? If we want to master a one jazz standard, if you start with autumn leaves and then 25 jazz standards later, you come back to autumn leaves again, pretty much can guarantee you you're going to play autumn leaves way better than you did, you know, 25 standards ago or 12 standards ago or even three standards ago, right? Does that make sense? So learn more jazz standards. It's that simple. You want to get better at jazz? Learn more jazz standards. So there's a lot in this episode, and I hope you took some notes. And just know that you can re-listen to this episode at any given point because there is a lot of important things in here. And I also want to emphasize too that you don't have to do all of this stuff, right? This, This is a lot of stuff. This is like if everything in life was perfect. But what you can do is you can take aspects of this and start applying it because chances are that you're not doing some of these things now, right? And that if you were to do just one or two of them, on any one of those four elements we talked about, then you're going to immediately start seeing a bit of improvement in your jazz playing. And that's what I want for you. Okay. So what I'd love you to do now is to take action. Think about one thing or two things from this episode that you'd like to start doing in your practicing and make a plan of how you're going to start doing that. All right, that's all for today's show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Hope that you enjoyed this episode. Uh, hope that you take action on it. Really had a fun time putting this together and just planning for it. Because um, I'm always just trying to give you as much value as possible and help consolidate some of my knowledge for you. And so this episode is very much so me um, me trying to do that for you within you know, the span of an hour. So thank you so much. I do appreciate it for for listening. Um, By the way, if you would like help with all the things we just talked about, these are things that we regularly do in our inner circle membership. Like we do this every single month and I talked about it throughout the episode just naturally because I I mean, that's, I can't help it. It just, that's what we do. So if you want help with your jazz playing in all the ways that I just discussed and a community of other musicians playing all kinds of instruments, to do it with you, alongside of you, then go check it out. LJSInnerCircle.com is where you can go, but you can also find in the show notes a link to that, or if you're listening on 
Apple Podcasts or Spotify, just click the description and you'll see a link as well to the Inner Circle. Would love to have you join us. It'd be a lot of fun. So ljsinnercircle.com or down in the show notes or the description would be great. And we'll be coming out with a great episode of the podcast coming in next week. So make sure that you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit that button if you've never done it before. And we'll see you next time. Cheers. Happy practicing. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes. And don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. Learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.